Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 welcome to conversations with cynthia cynthia hyatt is a relationship expert executive consultant and life management coach cynthia hyatt uses her 30 years of experience as a licensed psychotherapist to now offer in-office or concierge services through executive life coaching, consulting, and image management in order to help you be your own best version. Cynthia also specializes in speaking to groups worldwide about how to be successful in relationships, as well as artfully handling life's challenges. She has had many opportunities to present numerous educational seminars and lectures on a variety of motivational, inspirational, and mental health topics around the world. Please take a moment to visit her website at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's Cynthia, H-I-E-T-T dot com. Her Facebook page at Cynthia Hyatt Incorporated for current events, updates, and inspiration during your week, as well as all social media platforms. You can hear this show as a podcast on iTunes and many other podcast services. Follow her on Facebook and Instagram. Now, with today's fresh insight, here's Cynthia Hyatt. Well, good afternoon. As always, I'm so happy to be here with you. And that you also are wanting to invest in yourself. And that the thing that goes behind every show that I do is be your own best version. And I want you to be the best version of you. I don't want you to have to compete with other people. I don't want you to have to make excuses. I really want you to be the best version of you. And actually, that's really all, all that God asks. He's not asking us to be God. He's not asking us to be something that, that is outside of our league. He's really asking us to just be the person that he designed us to be. And what I have come to find over my long life here is when I am being the best version of me, which means I'm being me, it really isn't that hard. And it used to feel like it was really hard because I was always trying to be something else and something different or something better, something new, whatever it was. And so I want you to think about this. What happens when we are not willing to accept who we are and we are thinking that we are somehow less than. So when that begins to happen, we have a tendency to move toward pleasure. Now, I want to ask you this question. How much does your pleasure cost others? Normally, you would think I'd be asking how much does your pleasure cost you? But what I want you to think about is your pleasure costs others. And we may not always know it, and pleasure does have a price. It doesn't mean it's not worth it sometimes, but it costs. And many times the pleasure we are indulging in is an attempt to mitigate pain. The problem is the price of the pleasure oftentimes brings more pain or a different kind of pain. 
a good character understands, respects the price of pleasure. Good character, good character qualities actually produce emotional, intellectual, spiritual, and relational physical currency. For example, the price of an addiction to yourself and to others versus the invested cost and subsequent revenue from sobriety. Think about, think about how, how much less money you have to spend if you're a sober-minded person. So how much is your pleasure costing you? How much does it affect the ones you care about and who care about you? How about your community? What about your job? Does it affect your job? See, pain is real. And pain management, when done morally, is the best antidote and possible cure for pain in this living world. It isn't easy, though. That's the problem. So when we think about this, I want you to ask yourself, wow, what do I need to do to deal with my pain? How do I do that? And so let's, let's think about this for a minute. Good character understands and respects the price of pleasure. See, there's nothing wrong with pleasure. Pleasure is great. It's fun. See, good character qualities actually produce emotional, intellectual, spiritual, and relational physical currency. And the way that I know this, the price of an addiction to self and others versus the invested cost and subsequent revenue from sobriety. How much does all of that cost you? How much does it cost you to constantly be wanting to feel good, constantly needing pleasure, constantly needing propping up? See, pain is real. I get it. I I really do get pain. (laughs) Trust me. So how much is the pleasure costing you and those who care and love you? And how much of it is detracting from your job? And what's the ripple effect of that? See, pain management, when done morally is the best antidote and possible cure for the pain of living in this world. I promise. Pain is real. And pain management, when done morally, is the best antidote and possible cure for the pain of living in this world. So I want you to think about this. These things matter. They really, really matter. And the best way to bring out the best in you and your partner or your friends, or your family, or your employees, okay, is, is to really do the kindest things you could do. Because kindness oftentimes doesn't really cost anything. See, we have a perfect partner in God, which none of us deserves. So thank God for the people who partner with you. Thank God for the people that continue to love you as you mess up and figure life out and all these different things. So I want you to ask yourself, if you are consistently moving toward pleasure, then what happens is instead of being a depositor in people's lives for good, you're a deductor. So how much do you deduct from other people's pleasure, rest, Um, accomplishments, you know, they're feeling good about themselves, the feel that they have like achieved something. How much does your 
your, you know, the, the tendency for wanting to have pleasure without work, how much it, does it cost you and how much does it cost the people that you love? See, people have to recover from being with you. And so what you want to think about is, wow, if, if people have to recover from being with me, what do I do to help them recover from the harshness of this world? If I'm recovering from you, I'm also having to recover from how difficult this world is. So think about this. Do you come to the event or the party with nothing? Expecting to be entertained? Expecting to get party favors? Having a good time? Being honored? You know, what do you bring to the event? Do you bring honor to the event? Energy? Emotional gifts? rewards. How about positive emotions? See, many of us will get to heaven because we know Jesus. Excuse me. But at the great feast, we will have nothing to offer. In other words, we show up at the party naked and expecting. So what you do matters. And not just down here, but it's for eternity. So think about how you leave people. Do you only think about how they affect you? Were you cognizant and mature enough to consider how you affect them? And, and we've talked a lot on this show about the little things that we can do. And that's things like, you know, opening a door for somebody. It's things like letting somebody go in front of you in line because they're, they're trying to deal with their kids and their groceries at the same time. It's opening a door for somebody. It's these small gestures of kindness. And it could be one smile, one act of courtesy can overcome the most terrible insult and offenses the other person may have had to endure in their day. It really doesn't take a lot. Think about it. How refreshing is it when someone lets you take the parking place, opens the door for you, smiles and says thank you, or forgives you when you're being discourteous? And this is where the the thing that is so amazing about this is I don't have to work that hard to do it. And it still gives a lot. And that's why I want you to think about, you know, if I can make other people feel a little bit better, then what happens is it's a ripple effect. They cause other people to feel better. And those people cause other people to feel better. And so this is where we say to ourselves, wow, there's this judgment day and the quote, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into your rest. Now, you may get that, enter into your rest, and he may call you a good and faithful servant because you believed in Christ, but only acknowledging your belief in Christ, if that's all you have done, then it will be a sad moment. If all you have to offer Jesus is that you believed in him, but you did nothing with your belief, you never put it into action, There was never any sacrifice. There was never any deeds, just acceptance of him living in your heart, but no evidence that the world might report. And so let me read you some some, uh, uh, little chapter out of the Bible that was pretty astounding to me. And this is in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. And this is out of the ESV Bible. And this is what it says. But understand this that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, 
lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient, ungrateful, unholy, <clears throat> excuse me, and heartless, unappeasable. Isn't that an interesting word that the Bible would have? At the end times, these people will be unappeasable. It means they cannot even get a good feeling anymore. They can't even accept a good feeling. And they're slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless. How about this one? Swollen with conceit. That's gross. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. And the last sentence of that chapter says, avoid such people. And you want to know why? Because if we're not on our game, they're going to affect me in a way that I start to act differently than what I know I should. I start to get a grudge. I start to get angry. I start to judge people. So we're going to talk more about this in the next segment. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you for joining me, and I'll talk to you in a couple more minutes. I hear the whispers in my well, welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you so much for joining me today. And I hope your week is going well and that you it will continue into this next week. And that you will be really having what you need. And when I think about what we need in this last segment that we started in, we talked a lot about lovers of, of money, all these types of things, and what happens when we are that kind of person. And so here's what we want to think about. We want to say to ourselves, even though we know it's, you know, we know that it's the end times in many ways. I want you to think about this, this kind of thing. So we affect each other very much. And we've talked a lot on this show about how much we affect people. So do you want to teach or do you want to be taught? Think about that. Do you want to lead or do you want to follow? And so when we talked in the earlier segment about the lovers of themselves, okay, do you think those people want to be taught? And do they want to lead or to follow? Now, that's an interesting question because many people that are lazy do want to lead. But they only do it for a little bit until they get tired. But they do require that we follow them. So humility is required. If you want to be taught, you need to be humble. If you want to lead, you need to be humble. And, and so I tell people I'm responsible for what I teach and I'm accountable for what I'm taught. See, I could be taught some things that are not right, and I'm going to be accountable for whether or not I tossed it out and said, you know, that's not right. I'm not going to believe that. And so I have to ask myself, am I teaching the right thing? Am I learning the right thing? Am I responsible for what I'm teaching others? Because I'm responsible for what I learn. And see, when we think about teaching others... I, I had a client in my office the other day, and I was talking to him about this concept of mammals. Now, we've talked about this on the show before. And this idea that, that mammals learn by watching other mammals. So eaglets learn how to fly by watching 
the mother eagle. Every animal on the planet learns by watching. Certainly having experience, but watching and copying is what mammals do. So I want you to ask yourself, are you teaching people what to be? Or are you one of those people that teaches people what not to be? And so this is where I'm not saying I'm not putting this big burden on you telling you that, you know, you have to save the world. What I'm saying is that every time you act in an unsavory manner or you're brutal or ugly, you're giving license to other people to do the same. Now, I'm not saying that you're responsible for the whole world, but I'm saying this. There are weaker people in the world. They are lamer and then some are stronger. And see, people the most that, that, that are the strongest need to practice that strength. And so I have to make sure that when I'm helping others, I'm doing it through the best version of myself. And I'm not expecting a behavior change so that I feel good about myself. See, if you rise up, you know, it doesn't mean that you have to be perfect. It doesn't mean that, that you are some prophet or something. It means that you're a fellow human, and, and we are mammals, and that you say to that person, you know, I want to unteach what I just taught you. I am sorry that I did that. I don't like it. Or I'm going to do better because you were so kind to me when I acted out. And so it doesn't mean we're, we're being perfect because we've had this, that talk on this show before that we don't even know what perfect looks like. And if we looked at perfect, we'd probably die right now. And so we want to think about all mammals learn by watching, listening, copying, mimicking, and through trial and error. That's the education that they get. They also learn from risk-taking. They also learn from failure and inspiration. That's watching other people do things that you think you would like to copy. And so what happens is this idea of self-esteem rises because we feel a sense of belonging in that group. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm always wanting to remind people that your life really matters. Whether you feel it, whether it's reinforced by outside individuals, it doesn't matter. Even if you don't want to be seen, you are by not being seen. And this is where we have to say to ourselves, you know, you can choose to resist what you see, but you cannot choose what others see. And you can't choose how they judge it. So we are created to be teachable. And I want you to ask yourself, are you willing to be taught? Are you willing to be taught over and over and over again if that's what it needs? You have to learn what you're doing. We have a responsibility to our society. And this is rarely talked about anymore. And it makes me very sad. But I'm sure you've heard the saying, we are only as strong as our weakest link. So is he the stronger you or, or the less vulnerable to learning and assimilating? Who are you? Are you the strong person in the group? Or are you the less vulnerable and you're less vulnerable? Or are you the one that is constantly encouraging others? And is the stronger you maybe vulnerable as well to learning? 
and assimilating lots of things. And so you have to be careful if there's some deleterious things that you begin to learn. What if you, you get tired? See, this is the tired and the weak that we talk about, that we can be doing a really good job of representing our family, representing ourselves, representing our country, representing our, our faith. But here's the thing. If we're not taking care of ourselves, then we are going to succumb. So bad behaviors, jealousy, judgmentalism, hatred will always weaken the person that we were created to be. So I ask you, do you want to teach or be taught? Humility is required for both. I need to learn, and I teach. I'm taught, and I also teach. And I'm responsible for what I teach. And I'm accountable for what I'm taught. And this is a tough one. Because we don't really hear this very often. And I do this in my, in my office, in, in my practice, all the time. You know, I remind people that, hey, maybe you don't think anybody sees you. And maybe they don't. But you see you. You know what you're doing. You know what you're thinking. You know what you didn't do that you should have done. And so this is not about beating yourself up. This is saying, wow, I'm a one-time occurring person. And I, and I remind my clients, hey, nobody can succeed like me. Nobody can mess up like me. <laughs> okay, they're all original many times to me. And I have had some that were not original, and that was really embarrassing. And so I'm responsible for these things. And I want to say to myself, am I teaching the right thing? Am I learning the right thing? Because I'm responsible for what I'm teaching you, and I'm responsible for what I learn. So we are teaching people what to be. We are teaching people what not to be. So I want you to be one of the people that people want to emulate, not the one that they don't want to be. So join me in the next segment as we talk more about being your own best version. Well, welcome back. You're listening to Conversations with Cynthia. And thank you so much for doing that. I, I always appreciate you listeners and also telling your friends and family about it because I think it's one of the ways that we can make the, the world better one person at a time, right? And so we want to be involved in what is happening in the world. We don't need to necessarily be carrying it as a burden on our back. But what we do want to do is make sure that we're being the best version of ourselves. And one of the things that we need to re, you know, respect is that we're created to be teachable. And I want to ask you if you're willing to be taught. And again, do you want people to copy and mimic, to learn what you're doing? Because we all have a responsibility in our society. Now, this is rarely talked about anymore, and it, and it makes me very sad. I'm sure you've heard the saying, we are only as strong as our weakest link, right? So is he the stronger you? Are you the less vulnerable to learning and assimilating some that, you know, some whatever deleterious types of health and well-being that you're being served up? So are you being the stronger version of you so that you don't have to assimilate bad behavior, 
any types of behavior, any ways of thinking. So like jealousy or judgmentalism, hatred. See, this will always weaken who we were created to be. So I ask you, do you want to teach or do you want to be taught? Now, the answer to that question is, I want both. Truly, that's the answer. Now, humility is required for both. So I have to say to myself, I am responsible for what I teach. And I'm accountable for what I'm taught. Am I teaching the right thing? And am I learning the right thing? See, we don't have to have a degree to teach people. We're watching each other all the time. We're watching it on television. We're watching each other all the time. And so I want to say to myself, I'm responsible for what I teach. And I'm responsible for what I learn. Now, certainly there's a limit with this. I'm not saying that, you know, we're responsible for how people are acting over in, you know, Russia or something. What I'm saying is I'm responsible for what I teach. And what I'm teaching people is what they're seeing me do what they're hearing me say, and how they feel around me. So we are teaching people what to be or what not to be. Every time you act in an unsavory manner, every time you're brutal or ugly, you're giving license to weaker people to do the same thing. See, I'm not saying that you're responsible for the whole world. Of course not. But I am saying there are weaker people. Some are lame some are strong. And people, the most of those that are strong, need to practice that strength. And what that really means is, like for myself, I hold myself to a higher standard, not because I think I'm better than people, but I know that people know me and watch me. That means I have a responsibility. So if I don't want to answer to God about any bad behavior I had outside of my house, maybe I should stay home. (laughs) And I've thought that some days. I've thought, man, you know what? I I don't even want to go outside. Being the best version of me, I don't even want to be that today. I get I get over myself, right? And so I want you to think about that. That there are ways we can take care of ourselves so that we don't have to feel guilty or bad or like we we messed up. We can actually just take care of ourselves and say, you know, I am not going to be a very good version of me today. I better stay home. And I've had to do that before when I've just thought, I am not, I'm not myself. And so that's part of being a responsible adult that recognizes they're human. And so the need to practice that strength, that doesn't mean, you know, that, that I'm helping others be weak. It means that the version of me is rising up and I'm doing what God asked me to do. And many times it's simply the love chapter. I'm sure you're all very familiar with the love chapter. And if we just were practicing that, it would be amazing how well people acted. Because when people feel good and loved and wanted and seen, they always act better. And so this is where we've done a show before on The Greatest Comeback. And I want you to remind yourself, you can always come back. You can always come back. I don't care what you've done. You can come back. And that's one of the most amazing things about humans, is when a really yucky, bad thing has been done by some person, 
if they undo it and redo it, hey, it's like, wow, what a great story. I'm so, you're so amazing. I love this. It's, and it's rare that people throw you to the dirt. It's very rare. So all mammals learn by watching and listening. Mimicking, copying, they learn through trial and error. So we're going to continue talking on this subject in the next segment. So thank you for listening. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Well, welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host, and truly, I I really love the fact that you're listening and that you're telling your friends and family about it because this is one of the ways we can change the world. We can't do it, you know, with just one person. But the more that we affect the world around us, we give them hope. And we give them this, this idea of, wow, I do have a choice. I can change if I need to. And so I want you to think about this idea of discernment. And and this goes along with what we're talking about because many times it's difficult for us to discern what really is going on and maybe even what what is going on with us. So discernment is this quality that we may not have known we had or needed. It's a quality that we can become better and better at. And it's a very important quality and one that helps with success in all kinds of arenas. See, what do you think of when you hear someone described as discerning? What, is, what, what, what does that tell you? See, this is someone that sees more than what is there, someone who picks up on things that might otherwise be overlooked or seen as inconsequential. This is someone that seems to know something and they're not sure why they know it. So discernment is the ability to obtain sharp perceptions or to judge well or to do the, you know, the activity of doing well. It's a, it's a case of judgment, discernment. It's psychological. It's moral. It's aesthetic in nature. And discernment has also been defined in the context scientifically that discerning is what is true about the real world. So if I'm really good at discerning things, what that means is I kind of see past. So even though I'm hearing them talking to me, I'm hearing other things as well. So I'm discerning. And this, this is, everyone has a certain level of discernment. Some may be better at it than others, but discernment has been also defined in the context of scientific things. Like this is the discerning what is true about the real world. It's discerning a value, including what ought to be, what should be, could be, would be. The process of discernment within judgment involves going past the mere perception of something and making nuanced judgments about its properties or qualities. Now, I know that sounds like a lot of language. What we're basically saying is to become more discerning means that you can look past some things. See, if I'm meeting somebody for the first time and they're acting like an idiot, okay, <laughs> which you know, we all do sometimes, if I'm discerning, I might just ignore it and say, you know, ah, that's a weird thing that person is doing. I wonder why they're acting like an ass. I wonder why they're doing that. And so if I'm discerning, I might look past some really bad behaviors and, and really find out what's going on with this person. Why would they even be doing those things? 
So the process of discernment within judgment involves going past the mere perception of something. It's about properties and qualities. Discernment in the Christian religion is considered a virtue, a discerning individual considered to possess wisdom and be a good judge, especially regarding subject matters that maybe people often overlook. So when we have this process of discernment, it means that we have the head, the heart, and the gut. And we've sort of talked about the three brains before, but I'm going to talk a little bit more about it because as we are moving forward in time, I think you can agree with me when I say there's a lot of changes. And there's a lot of things that we are hearing and seeing that we may not ever have thought would ever occur. And so when we're using what we call the three brains, this is the process of an individual discernment that what happens is they take steps that can be taken in order to achieve a level of discernment. So it's kind of like, think about actions can be made when making decisions of discernment, taking time and making decisions, using both your head and your heart and assessing how important different values are and, and how they're involved in a situation. So if I'm using my head and my heart, what I'm doing is I'm analyzing a behavior that I'm seeing, but I'm also wanting to listen to my own heart and see what my heart is telling about that other person. What am I feeling from that other person? And so the, it's assessing, and it's an important process to, to be involved in, and, and time many times has been considered necessary in the process of making a smart choice and decisions, and that decisions made in a hurry can, you know, be altered by the lack of contemplation. But what we want to think about is the most important part is saying to ourselves, we have time, because discernment is about time. And this is where we want to make sure that we are available to assess the situation if it improves the discernment process, if time allows. Okay, I don't want us to get burdened and you know, bogged down by all these things. What we want to do is we want to say, hey, making decisions, if, it's, if I'm using discernment, require the head and the heart. So making decisions with the head means to first reflect on the situation and emphasize the rational aspect of the decision-making process. So my father is a very well-renowned electrical engineer, brilliant man, designed um, different, all different kinds of satellites, and all, I mean, very, very in- healthy, crazy, smart man. And so he did all of his discernment through the head. And even though I knew he had a heart because he was kind to me in many situations when I might, or maybe he should have not been very nice to me (laughs) because of my behavior. So, but his tendency would be to have it be more rational and it would be a decision process for him. It wouldn't be what we would call a gut instinct. It would be everything is lining up and making sense to me. So in order to do a decision with the heart, see, the individual needs to make decisions based on feelings as well as rationality. So if I'm talking with my father, he's not listening to the subtle nuances of emotion I may be having. He's trying to tell me the right way to do something. 
This is how it's done. And if you don't do it that way, you're probably a dumb person. So we have to say to ourselves, are we using all three brains, the head, the heart, and the gut? Because the head, the heart, and the gut have incredible amounts of neurotransmitters that are flying all through your body, giving your body information. So if we ignore the head, which is usually where we have more um, concrete evidence, you know, if we're using the head, we're wanting to see things to make sure it's actually true. And so then we have the heart and see the heart has so many neurotransmitters that are carrying loving emotions with it. This is why when women get pregnant, they have a tendency to get really weepy. And a lot of that has to do with there's more neurotransmitters going to the heart. See, they're feeling it so deeply and it's moving them. And so the, the last thing we have is the gut. And we know the Bible talks about the gut. And I want you to become friends with your gut. And if that means changing your diet, I hope you do. Because in today's world, there are less things that we can trust than usual. And this is important for us to have a gut experience that says, everything sounds good to my head, but it's not feeling good to my gut. I don't like how this feels. This doesn't, I don't know. I'm not, I, it sounds so good. I feel like I should be really happy and excited and want to do it, but I'm getting not a good feeling in my gut. And this is what we call using the three brains. So when we are doing this, I want you to say, I want you to ask God, I want you to go to the source, and I want you to ask for the gift of discernment. And the reason that I am really purporting this today is as things get more crazy, and we can see that the world is kind of falling apart, okay? It's like it, it, it doesn't have solid ground. We need to be very discerning. And we need to know the difference between a truth and a lie. And we need people with good, solid judgment. We need humble people who will learn, humble people that care, that can discern things, that uphold the truth that steer people correctly, not for selfish gain. We need people who are able to look into their own soul and accept that change may need to occur. They need to be humble enough to change. Now, people that, that are willing to stop lying to themselves, this is wonderful when we have people that are brave enough to not lie to themselves in order to feel better. But maybe they're going to be brave enough to crave and accept truth, even when it means they need to change. Maybe they're the person finally that can admit being, you know, stung and use that as a way to redirect and change course. So instead of getting angry and wanting to harm somebody, they're saying, wow, that sting, that got my attention and I need to redirect. So there is time with, with what happens to us in, in these little pressure experiences that we need to adjust. And discerning guides me to recognize wisdom and follow wisdom, follow her regardless of the cost. Because God says, let he who lacks wisdom ask. So when I'm in sessions, I'm asking God for wisdom all throughout the session because I know that I'm being used by God as a conduit, which is a wonderful thing. 
And the other thing is he, he actually lets me like use some of my own thoughts as well. And so one of the things that God says in James chapter uh, 1, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Now, if this, if you are not aware of this being the time to have judgment and wisdom, this is the time we need a lot of judgment and wisdom. And that turns into discernment. And see, discernment is the ability to obtain sharp perceptions and to judge well. And in the case of judgment, discernment can be psychological, moral, or aesthetic in nature. So discernment has also been defined in the context, scientifically, that discerning what is true about the real world, discerning a value that's including what it ought to be, And this is part of deductive reasoning. Now, we're not going to go into a deductive reasoning today, but I'm wanting you to be a person that craves discernment because in our country, in our world right now, it's crazy. It's crazy town. And there are still wonderful people doing wonderful things. And you're one of them. If you're listening to this show, you want to make your part of the world better. And we need to be practicing discernment We need to be practicing this on a regular basis. So the process of discerning within judgment involves going past a mere perception of something. And in the Christian religion, it's considered a virtue. It's an individual that possesses wisdom, that has good judgment, and especially with regard to subject matter that maybe people have overlooked. So this is where... I want you to understand that discernment requires time and and to understand it. And if there is judgment to be made, we don't want to rush into it. We may want to ask for some other input from other people. Because judgment, that's that's a big thing to do. And it causes us, though, to be wiser and healthier. So this is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. We are almost done. So this is what I want to really encourage you to do today. I don't want you to fall into judging yourself. You need to take time with yourself. You need to learn yourself. Have a great rest of the week. We hope this past hour has been encouraging, motivating, and inspiring to you. The messages and teachings shared during the show are given as a way to reach you, the listener, with ideas and insights on how you may not only improve your life, but have more successful and meaningful relationships as you become the best version of you. Cynthia is available as a keynote speaker or guest speaker for your corporate or spiritual events. Cynthia is able to customize a message for any audience attending a meeting, retreat, or conference. In addition to this, she oftentimes partners her messages with music as she is a singer and musician. Please contact her through her website, at CynthiaHyatt.com. If you missed any part of this program, you can download the most current show from our website at CynthiaHyatt.com or hear a replay on your favorite podcast server. Please take a moment to visit her Facebook page at Cynthia Hyatt Incorporated and leave your ideas and comments about today's show. Now, be your own best version. <laughs>